What's up, Slick Talkers? I want to promote a quick little thing that we're doing at Good Morning Hospitality called Good Morning Retreats. This is our first ever retreat, and we are hosting a hospitality training retreat at the Horst Schultz Hospitality Training School in Auburn, Alabama. Now, this is going to be July 8th through the 10th, and it's for operators only. So if you're a property manager and you want to actually dive into the inner workings of providing hospitality and not just the operations of your business, then this is what you need to do and sign up for. So go to goodmorningretreats.com in order to get into an intimate setting with other operators just like you. If you go to the website, you'll see the published agenda and other things around the whole retreat. We're excited to host you. And if you're going to the retreat already and you've already confirmed your spot, we can't wait to show you what we have up our sleeves for this event. Now, let's move on to the episode. Thanks for tuning in. And like always, I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. Change is good. You got to be able to change. And I, I, I preached this a couple of weeks ago, that changing your mind is not a bad thing. Like you can have your mission statement, your mantra, that sort of thing. But if something doesn't work, change your mind, like changing directions and changing your mind and trying out new things with this new sort of structure and industry, which we're going into now as a restaurant there's an opportunity to play around with a few things and see how it goes and see how it plays out. The take go, take, to go cocktail kits, the, the QR codes, all that sort of stuff. Like just take us, just it's 2021 is the, what the first week of the year, take a breath, go into your office, Google everything that you've got questions about and just watch YouTube videos, read some articles, listen to some podcasts, get it out of your head that this is the way we've always done it. Cause that's just, toxic poison that you need to just release as 2021 we had a relatively average crap 2020 for most people so 2021 2020 is gone there's no yeah. point sitting on it and going weep 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 like 2021 let's tackle it and get it going welcome to slick talk the hospitality podcast where we discuss all things hospitality hotels and business you can find us online at slicktalkthepodcast.com and on every podcast listening platform all right everybody welcome back to slick talk the hospitality podcast it's a new year new me new show just kidding not really same show great guests great content um, i'm really excited Got my friend Sean here all the way from Canada. So he doesn't sound like a Canadian though. He's got that Australian accent. So I'm excited to uh, to have you on the show, uh, show Sean, that's a mouthful. And so to kind of dive into the restaurant side of things in hospitality, the food and beverage industry, and kind of your career and what you built uh, the last couple of years. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. This is, I'm, I'm excited. I don't, I, I'm usually the interviewer, not the interviewee. Yes, I was going to say us podcasters are rarely on the other side of the mic. Exactly. So it's, a, it's always a good opportunity. But uh, speaking of podcasting, so let's dive into kind of your background, um, how you got started in the industry and your just kind of overall origin story leading up to you doing your podcast and, and a bunch of speaking engagements and just the crazy life you've had um, with this whole hospitality industry. I'm pretty lucky. I started uh, when I was 13. This is going to go a little bit back. I started working for my family business, um, landscaping. And so all through high school, I landscaped, went to high school full time, obviously. And at the end of it all, I left home and got a job as a handyman at a hotel. So a junior handyman at a hotel. So I was cleaning windows, raking gardens, all that sort of stuff. Um, and one night, uh, the food and beverage director is like in a, 
in an absolute hizzy. He's like, do you have black and whites? I'm like, yeah, I have black and whites. That's what I did my uh, interviews. And he's like, I have a wedding. I'm down a bartender. Can you come work? I'm like, I've never done this before. He's like, that's fine. It's, it's easy. It's a way. It's poor wine, poor beer. I'm like, cool. Um, and I had my very first wedding. I was like 18 years old. Had a blast. And that's what was the bite. Like that was the hook. And I was set. And so I started really delving into bartending and cocktails. And this was 98. So this is before the internet. So if you wanted to learn anything, it had to be like books. And so I've got still in storage in Australia, like 500 cocktail books that I just like poured through. And then I just sort of moved around a lot and, and experienced all the different styles, nightclubs, dive bars, neighborhood joints. Um, and then come 2016, I bounced around a bit done an island just before I came over here. So I worked on Hamid Island, which is very similar to your, your background right now. Um, and then I was like, I made the move to Canada for a girl of all things. And I moved to Victoria, BC on the West Coast and fell in love with it here. Um, and I've been here for 14 years now. So going on 15 years. Wow. So in that time, I think I've done a ton of stuff, but I think being in this location, like in Australia, you were away from everything, mm -hmm. like everything. But in Canada, I can fly to Seattle. I can fly to Toronto. I can fly to Amsterdam in eight hours. So in that time, I've opened 15 restaurants and bars, consulting and, and that sort of thing. I've written four books, wow. my third and fourth book. My third book comes out this year. My fourth book comes out next year. Um, I have my podcast. I have my multiple companies and stuff, but I love the hospitality industry and what I try and do is be as diverse and as giving back to the industries I possibly can. So with my entrepreneurship and the, the companies I run and stuff like that, it's all about seeing deficiencies in the industry and then trying to fill those little holes. Mm -hmm. And so whether it be branding and creative house or online media marketing, um, I have a little distribution agency where I distribute craft spirits on the island here and everything in between, plus my podcast and everything like that. So mm -hmm. for me, the industry is such, has given me so much. So I want to try and reciprocate that as much as possible. For sure. Now I have a couple of questions, just going back to your origin. One, was it actually as easy as the, uh, the food and beverage director said it would be beer and wine or was there actually more involved? There was way more involved. Okay. Like, I was going to say, there's no way he got you in with just beer and wine. Well, it was just, it was, it was like beer and wine and highballs and stuff like that. And I'm like, I've never done this before. Like I come from a house, uh, I'm the oldest of six. So my upbringing is my the oldest of six. Yeah. Okay. My mom wasn't a very good cook. <laughs> my parents didn't really drink anything else other than beer. So like, yeah. I've never poured a beer in my life at that time. And yeah. then for some reason, someone gave me a tray of drinks. And of course I spilled that on a whole bunch of people. And so my very first night was not going well. No. Um, but then I had a great time with the the bride and the bridesmaid. I was they were grabbing on the dance floor. I was dancing with them and stuff, which <laughs> I didn't even know that was not really acceptable in the industry. I was just like, this is fun. Why don't more people do this? Why isn't everybody dancing with the with the guests? Yeah. Um, and, and the next day, the food and beverage director caught me dancing, and I'm like, okay, well, obviously this is not right because he chewed me out a little bit. And then the very next day. They got a letter from the the bride, phone call from the bride and the groom saying thank you so much that that tall lanky bartender the bartender guy was so much fun we had such a great time. That's awesome. So I did my job, and then bit by bit in that hotel, like they started putting me onto more food and beverage shifts. And I remember 
there was this big Irish rugby team in and they really, they were just big drinkers. And someone came up and asked for a martini at the bar one night and in the hotel bar. And I was like, I have no idea. I was like, nope, I'm out. And I just walked out, tapped the other bartender in to make the drink and just stepped away. Cause I was like, I've only been doing for this like two weeks. I'm not, I'm not ready for this. Like yeah. beer and wine knocked me out, but like, no, can't do it. Yep. Now I had that, uh, I was a hotel manager and then um, the chef, I was, uh, the, the company was going through like a, a weird transition with ownership. And so I was like, yeah, it's probably a good idea. I, I get out of here before it gets a little messy just because you can kind of tell, right? And um, the the chef who interviewed me originally at that hotel, he pulled me aside and he goes, how'd you feel about becoming uh, the manager at the restaurant? And I was like, like, oh, I've done food and beverage, but not the sense of like fine dining. And, you know, I've never waited a, a table in my life. Uh, I've never served a drink in my life other than myself. And um, yeah, so I don't think I could quite possibly carry over my same skill set. And he was like, oh, I'll train you everything. It'll be great. And I was like, okay, sounds good. And I remember one of my first bartending shifts as one of the managers. Guest was like, hey, can you make me uh, this? And it was like some kind of lemon, kind of martini, but I don't even remember. And I was like, I have no idea how to do it. They're like, oh, we'll walk you through it. This is your first time. Like, great. And they're like reading off the Google instructions. And <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a nightmare. So I totally uh, can relate to that one. That's awesome. And uh, so long story short, moving from uh, Australia to BC, and now, how did it come about to creating your first restaurant concept? Because uh, I can go in, we could probably be here for hours talking about entrepreneurship in the sense of all the other businesses, a distribution mm. company, podcasting, because obviously that's what I do full-time too. Um, but I really wanted to like creating the first restaurant concept um, and highlighting the moment, like if you can even for the audience of myself, give me the moment where you're like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, those are always fun to hear. Um, so I'd already been in the industry for almost like seven or eight years, but when I came to Canada and I think growing up the way I did with parents who had their own business and stuff, I was always going to end up having my own business and had that sort of freedom. Um, I like being in control of everything. I'm a control freak. So I think most people who open their own restaurant, yes, passion's a big thing that they usually do the romantic story, but really they're control freaks and they want to control everything from top to bottom. Um, I started traveling a lot. And again, like I never really traveled in Australia because you can't, like the closest major city from Brisbane is a two hours away. Melbourne's five hours away, that sort of thing. Um, so I started traveling a lot, did New York, and a few other places, Toronto real quick. And I started picking up like these little things and I'm just like, you know what, like there's this little design feature or this service feature or, or this. And I, I started sort of putting together a piece and I had a notebook with me at all times. And I'd write down little things where I saw it, how I saw it. Um, I was lucky enough when I came to Canada, they didn't really have a cocktail culture at all. <laughs> they didn't really have a cocktail culture at all when I came to Canada. So coming from Brisbane, which had a really vibrant cocktail culture, and then coming to Victoria where they didn't have one at all, um, that sort of sort of pushed me to start like doing my own place. Um, in 2009, I took over the bar that I actually run again now, Clive's, um, in a hotel of the Shadow Victoria. And in 2011, 2012, it became, uh, it got nominated for top four best hotel bars in the world at Tails. And so this sort of pushed me one step further. It's like, okay, well, I sort of did a proof of concept with someone else, like built out that sort of program and the way that that should feel and look. And then in 2013, I opened my first restaurant called Little Jumbo. And so it was very, 
prohibition era new york city exposed brick the stuff that in 2013 was sort of trendy pretty much everywhere Mm -hmm. um big long bar top really good food program wine program everything it was a really good rounded restaurant because i felt um we didn't really have you always there's always one element i find in most restaurants that are sort of missing you know they've got a small year and a really great wine program they've got a really good chef and a chef program and then the bar is sort of lacking you know whether it be the beer program the concert i feel like no one ever does the full spectrum of what because they always go well, what's our fight going to be is it going to be a beer program well, let's just do basic beers let's go crazy on the wine um so i saw the opportunity to sort of do this big heavily rounded program that matched the food matched the beverage to the same sort of quality yeah no that's incredible so the clives right correct in the yeah. hotel so that was the first one that you helped start but wasn't originally yours in the beginning no, th- that one, um, again, we're talking when the cocktail culture in Victoria was super youthful, like super young. There's only one other little cocktail bar that was doing good stuff. Yeah. And um, the hotel poached me from my, my job that I had for four years before that. And I was just at a franchise restaurant, um, like a Milestones, Moxie's, Cactus Club, whatever you, like franchise stuff you guys have. Um, and they poached me and said, well, we see this is sort of a trend that's coming on. Like, I agree. Like, I think this would be a great space for it. Mm-hmm. Um and so it was six months after they opened and they did this massive renovation from an old pub to this really swanky cocktail bar, but didn't have the right people plugged in sort of like that. Oh, this is what we really, really want, but we don't know the steps to get to that, that stage. And so I got given a relatively long leash. And so it was just about a slow build. And it's one thing that I've talked about a lot with small cocktail culture and, and small bar culture in small cities is that sort of progressive step that you need to be educating your staff and the industry as much as you need to be educating your guests base because it's all well and good to have a great cocktail program but if none of your guests get it they're just going to come in and order their vodka tonics and gnts and glasses of wine and beer so you sort of got to build it up so it took me about 18 months and it was a it was a rough 18 months because again one of the very first cocktail bars nobody really got it and i remember saturday nights where I'd be by myself with the chef in the back and I'd ring out $120 in sales. And this is like seven months after I've taken over. I'm like, my wife is just like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I just believe that, that this is going to stick. It's just going to take time. And there was Saturday nights like that week after week. And I'm just like, so I, I was questioning myself. I was questioning my life decisions in a big way. And then all of a sudden something just clicked in the industry and something just clicked in the, the general public. And we went from me by myself to full staff gangbuster Saturday nights. And I'm like, okay, I was right for the last 12 months. My eccentricities that everybody thinks that I'm just crazy uh, actually like stuck and then really started gaining momentum. So just being ahead of the trend really, which is a blessing and a curse. It sounds like because hundred percent, I think everybody who gets ahead of the trend, whether it be, distilleries or craft beer like there's a point where you're just going to have so much patience Mm -hmm. and i have to remind myself that all the time with a new endeavor because you think that oh i've had huge success with this i'm just going to start something new and it's automatically going to be as popular as the the last thing and you're just like well no you still need to be patient you still need to build and grow and sort of thing like that i think in this day and age it's really hard to have patience because Mm -hmm. social media you've got your phone on you all the time. You've seen everything all the time. Yeah. And so 
having like real patience. Like I talk to all my younger bartenders and I'm like, they're like, oh man, I just want to get junket trips. And I just want people to really get my cocktail program. I just want this and this. I'm like, dude, let me tell you about Clive's. Like everybody's like, Clive's is super popular. I was like, yeah, but not for 18 months. Yeah. 18 months. It was horrific. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I like, I just like, as a consumer, I remember, you know, beer, I'm a beer, like I'm a beer fan. I love uh, craft beer. Now I love IPAs, hazies, all the other things like that. Um, but I remember like just, you know, the classic Bud, Bud Light, Budweiser, you know, those were the only things I drank. And then all my friends were like, Hey, I'm drinking this IPA. I was like, oh, that's disgusting. I can't believe <laughs> You're, you're varying off from our original, you know, drinks. And then here I am now, like totally into it and, and the industry itself, um, seeing from like this now other side of the, of the, the you know, grass is greener type, um, you know, seeing the craft beer industry really take off in a huge way and not get oversaturated now, but like some areas you're like, there's a brewery on every corner. And so, so it's like, okay, well, uh, those people that I was making fun of that were drinking IPAs uh, were ahead of the trends probably. And I, <laughs> my taste buds were a little bit behind. Um, so no, that's really cool that like that you were able to be patient. And I think obviously this will go into like the segue of our, of our next question or topic of the conversation is really your life um, pre COVID. I think you were traveling a ton and doing a lot of speaking engagements. Obviously, like you said, you have your podcast, you have books, um, there's so many conferences that were going on in the industry. Um, as we've been prepping for this episode, I looked into, you know, the amount of food and beverage stuff that is out there that I did not know um, is wild to me. Like hotels and vacation rentals, we have like our one or two, three, like popular ones that everyone goes to. And then it's like everything else is nothing. Like there's nothing else there. So to see the food and beverage side is really interesting. Um, so prior to COVID, what was your, your life and work looking like and kind of how did, um, you know, I, I'm also curious, how did you get to the point of being so, um, popular or sought out for, for speaking and doing these types of engagements and events? Well, it's interesting because you're sort of the outside looking in, but, um, when it comes to pretty much everything that I've sort of achieved in the last like five years of speaking and stuff like that, it's just about cold calling. Like I just ask. Like you, you're rarely going to get to a certain level of fame in the food and beverage sphere that people are going to come out and ask you. It gets there to a certain point for some things, but nine times out of 10, it's like, I, I spoke for Lisbon Bar Show last year in May. And I think I'd been hounding them for two and a half years to come speak at their show. And so every year I just, I go through that same thing. Like you Googled it, I go through all of them and go okay submit seminar submit seminar submit seminar I always have like five seminars in rotation yeah. and just sort of keep keep pushing that that envelope all the time um on the flip side i'm trying to now start speaking at sort of things that you go to the like hotels and restaurants because those hotel and restaurant shows the big the big big ones the macro ones yeah. are massive but most of my my click and my sphere would never go to those ones because it's very macro but that's where all the money is. Like my little, my little segment's about this big and there's a whole shwack load more. And yeah. we get a lot of, a lot of people get caught up that how awesome they are in this little segment. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be in this little segment. I want to be in the big one. Yeah. So yeah, like if people want to speak at shows and stuff, like people always go, well, how'd you get this trip? And how'd you get that? And like persistence, mm -hmm. like the worst someone's going to say is no, no, we're not interested. And you go, okay, cool. Thanks. And then you try the next year. Yeah. Um, pre COVID oh, this year was, this year was going to be massive for me. I was supposed to speak at um, 
the hospitality summit here in BC and Kelowna, which is in, on the interior. Then I was going to fly to New Orleans that ne- the, like the next day and speak at the American Distillers Institute seminar thing. And then I, I would have been home. So from Monday through to Thursday, I would have landed Thursday night, left Monday morning and gone to Kelowna, to New Orleans and back. Um, and again, it was just this constant push of things because especially when I go into the macro sort of stuff, like a lot of people go, you're the cocktail guy, you're that cocktail guy. And I'm like, well, no, I can speak about a lot of things, social media, online marketing, the whole shebang. So for speaking and everything, for me, I'm still in Victoria, BC, which is a very small city. Um, I'm still an Australian dude who lives in Victoria, BC. So why would the ADI conference be interested in something I have to say in New Orleans? And so literally everything, I, I've never really had someone go, hey, except for once, my very first book, someone came to me and said, hey, I, want, I think you should write a cocktail book. Mm. Ever since then, I've had to ask. So my second book, Great Northern Cocktails, I went to 12 publishers before the wow. 13th said yes. Wow. So I pitched 12 publishers before the 13th one said yes. And even when we got it out and it was in circulation, I still had to go to five different distributors before one would pick it up in North America. Wow. Well, it's like uh, I just had a, a meeting prior to this morning. Uh, one of my sponsors was saying, you know, it's the rule of sevens, right? It doesn't matter how many times you're, you're getting in front of people and maybe they hear stuff on the podcast or they hear it from a conference, but they say no, 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 the sixth, you know, six times. And then the seventh time they're at an engagement where you're speaking at and they're like, oh, okay, yeah. Now, yeah. now, so like, yeah, I think the persistency and yeah, even when I started the show, I had so many people like that. I wanted to be on the show. I was like, hey, you know, people from SGR or people from this and people from that, can you be on the show? And I got so many no's or no replies at all. So it's like, I just think, like you said, persistence um, is key for a lot of stuff. And I think there's a level of like, there's times when you can get disheartened by that. Like mm-hmm. you can go, oh man, like, why am I doing this? And, but I always think like, okay, I'm just going to keep pushing hard and pushing hard till they come to me and ask if I, they can be on the show. Yeah. And that's the way I look at it. If I get a no, it just drives me harder yeah. because then someone, the chances are within, like you said, six months, seven months, seven no's, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They're then going to come to you and you're like, well, okay, yes, I'm going to have you on your show. But you remember that I emailed you eight months ago and said, do you want to be on the show? And you basically told me to go away, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I, that's, that's what's always my driver is that, always sort of pushing to be the best. My dad always said, regardless of what you do in life, always be the best at it. And my mom always said, for some reason, regardless of how good you are, there's always someone out there better. So Mm -hmm. sort of this sort of circular like contradiction that I keep pushing myself. But I do love the fact like you pitch things in the first three months of you doing a podcast or writing a book or doing a YouTube channel or something. Mm -hmm. And no one will give you the time of day. And then you build and build and build. And then everybody wants to give you the time of day. Exactly. Yeah. That's the 2020 itself. I had a waiting list for the show, which was like, that's awesome. That was a dream. You know, like in the beginning, I remember I could barely get one episode a month out versus let alone uh, to have a waiting list to do three episodes a week. And so I totally get that in the, the sense of, I had a drill sergeant also tell me, he's like, we set the standard, right? So the, the, the army standard is here. You need to go above and beyond. Like you need to set your own standard. And then he would also turn around like your mom and dad and be like, but there's always going to be somebody better than you. And so it's like, what the heck? Why are you contradicting? (laughs) But no, it's a very, it's a very deep driver. And I think that's really important and key. And so I think what I want to take from that with you 
is how did you apply that during this time of lockdowns and restrictions and lack of travel? And like, what have you been doing with this time that we've had um, and applying it to, you know, tourism and hospitality for the beverage? I think COVID really showed how broken the one, the food and beverage industry is and two, like how, how substantial the tourism ecosystem is. Mm -hmm. um, I think food and beverage, like you've seen restaurants that have been open for 98 years closed because of COVID. I'm like, even a restaurant with huge brand equity, massive fellowship, always full leading up to COVID has now closed. So even a restaurant with that much loyalty and brand equity is still just on a, a slither of a, a opening closing every single month. And I think that's a big wake up call to a lot of people. I think um, QSRs and stuff like that are going to really build because we're not going to have the staff. We're not going to have the space. Um, I think they're going to keep building. Um, and then I think in tourism, I, th I always feel a little bit that tourism, the ecosystem is always sort of hotel centric. And I think we talked about it in the original, like you said, the destination, destination air, like very hotel centric. Um, but they're not like even tourism bodies and DMOs. They look at big transport, like cruise ships, hotels, and that's pretty much it. You know, food and beverage is always this like add on value add for hotels, not really a piece of the ecosystem. And then I think governments have really sh like been shocked just the pure number of employees that the hospitality industry like looks after because people don't think about the university student who works two days a week dishwashing at a restaurant they don't see that as an employee you don't see that one like that young kid who buses tables on Friday, every second friday night you know to make a little extra pocket money so i think the the governments and tourism dmos are really realizing just how big the hospitality industry is as a whole in their ecosystem and in their sphere as well for me Obviously, I took back over Clive's, reopened that after COVID. That's been a very interesting. We've been very lucky in BC. We haven't had a huge amount of lockdowns. The East Coast of Canada is really bad right now. Yeah. Um, for me, I sort of focused on my side hustles a lot. Um, and I think I did a couple of seminars on side hustles. And I think everybody in the hospitality industry, if you love the hospitality industry, you've got to look at, okay, when I turn 30, am I going to, do I want to be a salaried staff member? Do I want to have zero like safety net, like zero safety net? Like if, everything goes to hell again, like, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. So I talked to a lot of people about, are you a creative? Can you do stuff on Upwork? Can you yeah. give your services on Fiverr? Um, it's a little bit of money, but it's still like, you can still make a good little side hustle off it. Um, so talking about side hustles and stuff like that. So I sort of really upped um, the media. I launched a new company during COVID, which was the marketing and media company, because there was so many distilleries and wineries and breweries in BC that didn't have an e-commerce platform. Yeah. And so everybody's ordering online, but they don't have e-commerce. And we, and me and my partner talked to them and they're like, oh, well, people just come to the distillery and pick up stuff and buy it at retail stores and stuff. I'm like, yeah, but that's all slowing down. Like you've got no on-premise sales. On-premise is dead right now. And you, you've got a huge revenue stream that you haven't even touched on. So how, how are you going to survive this next eight months? So we helped a lot of distilleries really get sort of aligned with the direction. And I feel consumer convenience and everything was coming like skip the dishes, Uber eats, 
ordering takeout was coming. It's just two to five years from now yep. and it's here now and it's not going back. We never go backwards from this sort of stuff. No. So this is where I think um, the food and beverage industry has to change that if your brand, if you feel like your brand doesn't fit in the new normal, I hate to use the new normal, then you need to figure out what your brand is going to be for the next two to five years. And so I've been mentoring a ton of restaurants and helping them out with how to sort of adapt and overcome and, and keep going from that. So it's been a, a lot of feverish phone calls and coffees and <laughs> sharing a beer and sort of like calming people down and sort of walking them through the next two years or the next 18 months of the business. Yeah, no, I love that you said that too. Uh, a couple of things I wanted to touch on that. Yeah, you you hit it on the, the nail on the head really. Um, and that's the thing is we never go back. And I, I remember talking the first conversation like, April, May, like mid-May, just being like, this has already sped up the industry in itself, like with contactless, you know, point of sales and doors and tech and, you know, all this other stuff that we were talking about for the lodging side. Um, so it like this, all, all the stuff was coming. We all knew it was, but it was a slow transition period. We knew it was going to be three to five years, but now it's here within six, eight, 12 months. And we're where we were supposed to be in five years. Like we've already sped so far up. Um, and touching on the, the destination thing, I, with, with, I love how you say that the, the sphere, the orbits of, of hospitality, because I have truly seen that one, when it comes to marketing for hotels, restaurants, cocktail bars, you name it, um, they don't really do anything like social media. Um, some, some have a pretty good website, but they're not updated as often or, you know, whatever, um, all the marketing things that you and I can get into, but then like with a destination air concept. So people that are wired to create remarkable experiences that are anticipated and shared. I was talking to a friend of mine, Josh Copel with full comp, and, uh, he's, you know, works with Yelp exclusively on all these things and had, was a Michelin, Michelin rated restaurateur and all the stuff. And talking about that concept does apply. It's not just a lodging concept. It's not just a, um, you know, vacation rentals, hotel, it is a restaurant food and beverage concept as well, because I do anticipate the experiences I have with amazing people that have put amazing cocktail menus, uh, great restaurant concepts, um, things like that. I, I anticipate those experiences. Like when I'm booking a trip, that's, I love being able to know that I have a cool piano bar down the road that I'm going to be able to go seeing, you know, some journey uh, after having a few drinks with my friends or whatever, like, you know, like those are the memories and the experiences that do make part of my, my trip a great, not only a great pillow to lay my head on at night, um, but the, the fact that I can enjoy my day, um, you know, creating those memories is, is really important. So I'm glad that you said that because um, yeah, I think that's something with 2021, I want to really highlight with what we're doing in the industry and uh, with what you are doing specifically, like you already been doing it and living it out. So um, seeing that that come to life is really incredible. Um, what do you think, uh, I guess, what are you seeing take place uh, with that role that food and beverage plays like coming out of this? Are, are people like you're teaching people how to do social media marketing, um, how to get e-commerce platforms up, and really streamline the experience how do you see this playing into kind of the recovery i think food and beverage like we we always have these like next level food experiences and next level drink experiences but then when it comes to the tech that we use it's still like a dot matrix printer in the kitchen like like we don't adapt to the new technology and so social media is a big one i actually did a 
my po- my podcast today was actually about five tips to do for social media for restaurants and bars in 2021. Um, I think people get caught up in um, quality, and I think quality is subjective. Yeah. Like I, I'm really kind of done with seeing restaurants with these super polished, over the top table shots. I'm like this tells me nothing, you know, or multiple shots with the same people that are all models or friends that they brought in. I'm just like, this is not telling me your story. And I think we talked about Gary Vee off the thing, like the document over create thing is such a massive thing. And I think the restaurant industry needs to really accept this, that if you have a vegetable delivery, take a photo. If you have like people love seeing like go to YouTube and TikTok and stuff and see what people are like watching when it comes to like videos. Mm-hmm. It's like someone tearing down a fish or cutting up a steak or something like that, like chopping up vegetables and or doing a little bit of a recipe. Like it only takes you two seconds. And if you have that mindset of constantly like, okay, today I'm going to do a, we've got this, this, and this coming, the bartenders come in, oh, they're making a new drink, click. You know, this document over create telling a story is way more important marketing wise like i i talk to some restaurants and bars and they're like oh yeah we're going to drop 500 on a quarter page ad in this magazine i'm like you understand a 500 facebook boost in your area would get you way more views and it's quantifiable you know like it's quantifiable like i had a recently sat down and did a quick consult um because during COVID, i was like you know what i'm going to give an hour and a half free of my time i'll come in have a good long chat with you, see where you're at, give you some pointers and be done. It's open-ended. If something comes out of it, great. If nothing comes out of it, I don't care. Mm -hmm. And they did a massive radio campaign. And I'm like, okay, cool. The times that you're doing it is when people are really listening. This morning show is really popular. That's fantastic. But you can't quantify the actual return on it. And the money you spent, if you put that into Instagram and Facebook would be way bigger or doing your proper website, you know, or like tweaking your social media. Like, the money you spend, you could actually bring a photographer in to just hang out for the day and take photos with the chefs and stuff. Nothing staged, just take photos. Um, so I think food and beverage going forward in in with hotels and stuff, I think hotels need to look at their food and beverage instead of it being an add-on to be an actual something that could make profit. Yeah. Most, most hotels look at their food and beverage outlets as if they break even, we're happy. If they lose money, we're thing, but they don't really put much effort into it. They hire an expensive interior designer and they hire an expensive GC, put all the flashy stuff in and then they sort of go, okay, we're good now. We're just going to walk away, you know? So I think from a hotel standpoint, from the people that listen to your podcast, like really look at your food and beverage now, as like, as you said, destination air is a big thing. Like, because before, and I've done it myself. I, I went to Portland a few years ago with a friend and he ran another hotel lobby bar in Victoria here. And we went to Portland, we stayed in a hotel. And as we're leaving the hotel, we're like, oh, should we check out the lobby bar? And we're like, ah. And then we stopped and we both laughed at each other. And we're like, we just did what everybody does in our hotels when they're leaving the hotel to go out for the night. They go, do you think we should check the hotel lobby bar? Ah, uh, should be. And it was one of the best bars I went to in Portland. It's called the Driftwood Bar. It was built in the, the 60s. It's love, all weird. I love Driftwood. It's cool, yeah. huh? Yeah. Were you staying at the uh, Jupiter? Yeah. 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 Great place. Great place. And you, and you walk in and apparently they pulled it all apart. And cause it used to be yeah. a smoking lounge. They had to pressure wash all the pieces. They labeled all the pieces then put it all back in the same space. And they me and actually, went, this is awesome. They were actually one of my first guests I've ever had on the show. Oh, wow. Like, I did a live in-person interview with uh, Katie Watkins from their marketing team. 
amazing place. Amazing. But we did the exact same thing that most people do. And then we, we had to laugh at this because I'm sure people walk through the client, the Chateau Victoria lobby and go, should we check out the lobby bar? No. Yeah. And I think this is not something that's new. This is not like me like giving an ostentatious opinion. Like the Savoy has it, the the Conord has it, like a lot of the UK bars and London bars have it. Um, now there's a big ch change for hotels just to lease out the space. Mm -hmm. Like De Death and Company from New York is in a hotel lobby bar in Denver. You know, like this is, and I think they've got the one that's in Los Angeles is in a hotel lobby as well. So I look at that as a big change that's going to come. I think when you look at the overall concept of food and beverage in most hotels, most of them are breaking even or losing money. But if you lease out the space, you've got guaranteed yeah. lease rent coming in every month that you can't, can you never guarantee as it when it's self run. So I think food and beverage, they just need to, really understand where the consumer is coming from. And I feel like there's a certain stage with review sites and that sort of thing. The, the relationship between guest and venue has changed dramatically. And I don't think it's as symbiotic as it used to be, but on the flip side, our guests have changed, but we seem to keep doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And people are on Instagram. When I say to people post once a day for your restaurant, they're like, Oh, that's too much. And I'm like, yeah, but, your guest is like your one of your guests is on his phone all the time. They're always on Facebook. They're always on Instagram. They're always on Twitter. Um, they're always on LinkedIn. Yep. So you should be posting. And so I think the adaption of nouveau marketing, not doing quarter page ads in the local magazines or radio ads, like nouveau marketing is something the food and beverage has to really adapt to. I was going to say, we saw this in, in April too, when Airbnb let go 100% of the uh, revenue for hosts with full refund, no questions asked. Mm -hmm. um, and I love what you said, because, you know, I think taking that time to put like a radio ad isn't bad, um, but you have no control. You have no control on getting the ROI, like remarketing to that guest. Um, because, so I think, I love what you're saying, like social media, because you're able to collect emails. You're able to then grow that following list where you have direct access to give out your marketing stuff like promotions and cocktails and other things that you're trying to do. It's super important. I think that we're hopefully, um, you know, knock on wood, I'm hoping that most people in business are seeing that we aren't, we're giving too much control to these other channels and expecting like, okay, this is how we've always done it. Mm -hmm. um, now, you, you need to take back control of having that ability to remarket to your guests and remarket to your client. And when it comes to hotel uh, bars and lobbies, um, restaurants itself, I just think, you know, you, like you said it perfectly. And I love that you're, you're highlighting the destination air concept because you're, you are the destination. If you really put in the effort to create that type of that brand equity, like you said, um, and plus constantly just, creating something to show to your followers on socials and other media outlets that allow you to redirect them to you become the destination really making it somewhere that people want to go to and, and not walk by the lobby bar and like eh, you know, <laughs> it's like i think that's so key because like there's so many lobby bars that were done wrong and it was just kind of like the hotel was like you said it was just like they had one hourly staff there they put the menu together and like called it good but leasing out the space having a company that uh, like um, the Jupiter, for example. Mm -hmm. So their Jupiter Next, their newest property that they, they built right next door to the Jupiter with the drift. Oh, really? Yeah, that's where I stayed was at, at the Next. And I've, I've stayed at both, but long story short, 
they had their lobby main check-in area. And then on the same floor, they had a barista coffee shop that was leased out, not theirs. And then Hey Love, their restaurant that was leased out, not theirs. It was a different company that was leasing out the space and made it amazing. I, I can tell you that place was popping 24 seven because they really drew people in to be, we are the destination and the hotel is the perk. So, well, and that's the thing. Vegas has been doing it for years. Yeah. Vegas has understood that the room is just a room. Yeah. Everything else is where the money comes from. Okay. But if, for everybody else in the, the hotel industry, when it comes to food and beverage, it's like, we must control it. We must have it. It has to be the breakfast nook. Like I just, I've never really understood it per se. I've been lucky enough that Clive's has been good. It's been making money. So I'm, I'm pretty much safe, but um, it's, it's definitely an interesting sort of, thought process and i hate when people say well that's the way we've always done it mm-hmm. like that literally that was yesterday today yeah. is today and when someone says well, that's the way we've always done it it's literally like my biggest pet peeve because i don't do things that i did three weeks ago mm-hmm. like my goals have changed i've changed the people around me has changed everything well and like you said uh we talked about gary v where's the attention at like mm-hmm. focus on where the attention is like i've been playing up like for two years and 11 months i thought my podcast audience was on Facebook and Instagram. Granted, I need to keep posting on those platforms, but that's not where my audience is. They're on LinkedIn and uh, a new a new one called Clubhouse. So that's what about Clubhouse. Oh, it's great. It like yeah? it's a game changer. Like really? Yeah. I'll, I'll have to we'll we'll dive in more. I promise. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is is like I I I started doing TikTok. Yeah, yeah, TikTok too. So and it's not really anything that's business related like I'm doing cocktails on there, but yeah. to sort of test the waters for brand marketing. Yeah. And TikTok has been ridiculous for me. Yeah. It's been less, it's been just under a month and it's like almost 20,000 followers, like thousands of views. On my, like it's been crazy. Yeah. Where's the attention? And that's where you need to focus, but then continue like Gary V even says, you know, continue to post on those other channels because you never know, like just get creative, focus where the attention is, but be consistent on the other, the other places. Um, and it'll be a, a game changer. Um, and I, yeah, after this call, I'll tell you more about Clubhouse. It's, it's in, uh, 1,500 active users on it, and it's over a $100 million valuation with wow. 600,000 people waiting to get in. Yeah, wild. And I've been, in for, I've been in for two days, and I think I've made over, yeah, like 15, 20 industry connections. And like, that's in, massive. Yeah, it's in, introducing them to like other sponsors and other like business stuff. So it's, it's been wild. Um, it's a long, sorry, long story short. But, um, so like storytelling, we talked about, you know, like social media, how to tell your story through you know, connecting this. Um, another thing I think like is undervalued right now, QR codes and like mm-hmm. live going live on like chefs preparing a dinner with me while I'm in my hotel room, but they're down in the kitchen or in some kind of like place, you know, like that's super undervalued right now. Uh, I think when it comes to experience, it'd be interesting to see how that plays with uh, 2020, uh, 2021, but want to wrap up the episode to get your thoughts on recovery of the industry and how those, you know, everything that we've talked about really play a big role, storytelling, marketing, brand equity, um, focusing on where the attention is, destination air concept, like all the above. Um, What is, you know, what kind of role does this play for uh, restaurateurs to be actively engaged in the recovery of, of the industry? The the thing is, is like, I've, I've, I've been relatively positive during COVID for everybody. Um, the restaurant industry is a hard industry. It's a tough industry. You don't get in to make money. You get into it for your passion. You get into it because like every day is, is intense. 
Like you never have a day where it's just like simple, you know, like to really make good money in the industry, you've got to have like three or four restaurants, which brings more stress. Like people go, well, look at Jamie Oliver and look at get, like Gordon Ramsay. I'm like, yeah, but they have 25, 30, 40 restaurants plus books and shows and all sorts of like, they work really hard to make what some like investment bankers make in a week. Like, let's be really honest here. Um, I think the industry's always been tough. Um, I think this is a really good opportunity. I've said this from the very start for our industry to really open up and be transparent with our guests and our, and the rest of the, the industries. Like we have this sort of people say you're on stage and it really is like you could have a really bad meeting with your accountant and then an hour later be putting on your tie and jumping on the floor and being all smiles and welcoming guests to your place, you know? So I think there's an opportunity for us to all be really transparent, be open about mental health in the industry, like back of house chef toxicity yeah. or toxicity in general. Yeah. Um, including, I was actually ask you about that just on yeah. that, that overall like culture. Uh, overall culture, inclusivity, yeah. um, like everything. I think that this is an opportunity to have a massive reset in our industry. Mm-hmm. And I think restaurateurs, owners, chefs, bartenders, everybody who doesn't sort of accept the new reality going forward, the evolution of our industry is going to fall down really quick on the wayside. Mm -hmm. And so I think being honest with ourselves, being honest with our staff, I'm super transparent with my staff. If I have a bad day, they know about it Um, in a constructive way, not like just me buying heads off. Um, They always know our sales. They always know our per head spend. They always know our covers. They always know what sort of financial position we're in because then that gives it ownership. Um, So transparency and honesty for the food and beverage industry has to be a thing. You know, there's going to be some super hard times going forward. And so this adaption and evolution of where we see ourselves and how we see ourselves going forward, if we accept it, it's going to come out really great on the other side. Yeah. If we don't accept it, we're just going to be in the same spot. And the, the funny thing is, is that the same people who are like, well, we can't really change. I'm like, yeah, but you're the same person who says the industry's broken, like mm-hmm. living wages and tips, tip culture and all this sort of servitude culture. And I know in the U S it's a lot worse than it is in a lot of other places in the world without tip culture. Um, but I think that change, and I think it's going to come from the government too. Like I said before, like, I think that they've realized just the pure number of people in the industry, I think governments are going to have to change as well and mm-hmm. sort of see how important the bar and the food and beverage industry is. We're bigger than, in Canada. We're bigger than the oil and gas industry but we're not getting bailouts the way the oil and gas industry are. We're bigger than the car industry, but we're not going to get bailouts the way the car industry is. So we are on our own to our own devices to a degree, but I think there's a really massive opportunity for us to grow and become better as an industry. Do you really think it, because the way you're, the way you're describing everything, like accepting the changes and accepting this and like that, I think that is a key, like first step, right? We need to accept that this is not going to be how we've been doing business before. It's really like, if this, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but, we're really creating a whole new business, at least a new business model with the same brand. Um, oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like we, we talked about QR codes and all these sort of things. Like you have to look at everything differently because yeah. not just us as an industry, but we're, we're, we're consumer facing, yeah. you know, the consumers that are looking at us, like we're B2C industry, like the, the consumer has changed their whole, the, the way they look at the world, the way they interact with the world, the way that they buy from the world like online stores are a big thing like i'm blown away when most restaurants don't have their shopify store which sells their food yeah. hooked into their instagram where you can tag your food in an instagram post 
you know, and order online from Instagram. Like this is, this is just stuff that we need to take that barrier off. So I think we have to look inward as an industry, but also look at how our consumers, our guests have completely, they've been reset as well. Like everybody's like, Oh, I read a, a report, I think from STR the other day about like how hotel occupancies are going to go back up like soar in 2021. I'm like, yeah, late 2021, maybe early 2022 when people are more confident, like consumer confidence, everything people are like, oh, I can't wait to go out, but I'm only going to go out once a week. And I'm only going to go out to one venue to have that experience. Cause I don't want to go bar hopping. Yeah. Like this is the thing is like, it's all well and good to say everybody's going to spring back to normal, but it's never going to be that way. So how are you going to adapt to more takeout revenue? How are you going to adapt to bringing that experience into the house? Like you were saying, like the live stream with a chef, yeah. epic idea, yeah. you know, like even a QR code to a YouTube video, yep. the sushi chef making a sushi. Yep. My, so uh, think- one of my clients, they have that option for the room service. Room service is no longer available, but you get their um, make a margarita kit or like nice. the, the make your dinner kit because they have all sweets. So it's like you have a kitchen. Scan the QR code. The chef's walking you through. It's not live. Oh wow! Yeah, the, Dude, the that's chef. cool. Yeah, it's amazing. See, and and that's the thing is like even if you do spring back and you end up getting back eighty percent of your revenue that you lost before, how do you maximize? How do you get back that twenty percent that you're gonna need to get back revenue, uh, takeout revenue and delivery revenue and bringing that experience home? Mm-hmm. Like if a restaurant, just a standalone restaurant, did that idea with what you just said, it would go absolutely mental. People yeah. would blow up on that, you know, but the restaurant industry still thinks, oh, we're just going to wait for people to come back. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was, and I love you said transparency too, because um, I think that's something we've all been like, you, you know, like when you have a really bad day in sales or really bad month, let's say in revenue and uh, your neighbor across, you know, your neighbor restaurant that you're like, Hey, how are you guys doing? And they're like, Oh, great. We had our best month ever. And you're like, yeah. I, I had shit. So um transparency and being honest like like i love that you said that your staff knows your sales and that they know your covers and they know all this information because it gives them ownership and i think that's huge because your staff is going to be not they're not i hate the word staff i just i think your team in general is just going to be 100 percent on board with they're going to be able to sell what you're selling in the general sense of they're not just going to be seating a guest or taking mm-hmm. out a, a delivery they're going to be excited about it because they want to do well. They have, like you said, ownership. And they set themselves personal goals. Yeah, exactly. I want to have the best per head spend tonight. Exactly. That's, what they, that's what they want to do. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's key. So for the final thoughts and shout outs and conclusions for the guests, or not for the guests, oh my gosh, <laughs> we're getting all, getting all talk for the audience on Slick Talk. Um, I just, what, give me some final thoughts or um, like, not final thoughts. So I guess like something that a takeaway for any of the buddy that's listening specifically in the food and beverage space, you know, what, what can they do right now? Change is good. You got to be able to change. And I, I, I preached this a couple of weeks ago that changing your mind is not a bad thing. Like you can have your mission statement, your mantra, that sort of thing. But if something doesn't work, change your mind, like changing directions and changing your mind and trying out new things with this new sort of structure and industry, which we're going into now as a restaurant, there's an opportunity to play around with a few things and see how it goes and see how it plays out. The take go, take to go cocktail kits, the, the QR codes, all that sort of stuff. Like just take us just it's 2021 is the, what the first week of the year, take a breath, go into your office, Google everything you've got questions about and just watch YouTube videos, read some articles, listen to some podcasts and just see how everybody else is going. I never look 
at what's happening in the cocktail, like the cocktail industry in Victoria. I relatively look a little bit in Vancouver or Seattle, but mm-hmm. really I look at London. I look in yeah. uh, Berlin. I look in Spain and uh, places that are, are usually about six months ahead. I say, okay, what are they doing? So I think that's a time to sort of stop, get it out of your head that this is the way we've always done it because that's just toxic poison that you need to just release. As 2021, we had a relatively average crap 2020 for most people. So 2021, 2020 is gone. There's no point sitting on it and going weep, weep, weep. Like 2021, let's tackle it and get it going. Amen. Where can people find you? I'm going to obviously take everything in the show notes, but I just figured uh, give a vocal. Um, I will. Uh, yeah. So my website, soulhospitality.com. Um, I have my podcast called the post shift podcast. And then you can follow me on Instagram at, at Sean Soul, S-H-A-W-N-S-O-O-L-E and at Soul Hospitality Concepts. So it pretty much, I post everything there. And so yeah. I'm, I'm completely always open to people cold calling me unless it's an actual cold call but like reaching out and asking questions um you can hit me up on linkedin facebook instagram everything i'm always open for everything awesome yeah like i said i'll take everything in the show notes great podcast by the way i listened to an episode um just to kind of get a feel for your your style and all that other good (laughs) stuff i didn't didn't swear on this one so that was a big that was a big i I really pulled back on not swearing on this one (laughs) I love it. That's so good. It's okay. I like, I've sworn on the show, but anyways, we'll get, we'll get into that later. Um, it, yeah, it's, I, I appreciate you just taking the time, man. And just giving the the killer advice, the killer, uh, just great conversation, honestly, just talking Thanks, to other industry experts um, and the industry around. I, I want to focus more, I think being more intentional with this year, um, more intention with the content that you're like, you're talking about on the show. Um, is great. And so I just appreciate you, the value you bring to the industry. Um, you know, you're, you're a shaker, you're a mover, you're a game changer. So I appreciate that. Just we need more, more of you. And, uh, so thank you again for bringing that to the audience and hopefully we'll be more, more contact soon. Oh, definitely. Thank you very much. Will. Thank you so much for listening. We love your support and want to provide the best we can to all our listeners. So please find us online, social media, and on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast, then you are amazing. And thank you so much for tuning in. We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast.